I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. You and I didn't, I mean, in our relationships with other people. We didn't use the word love a lot, did we? Kimmy says, if you love someone, you say it. You say it right then, out loud. Otherwise, the moment just passes you by. Passes you by. Hello, and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Scott. And we are here again to talk about an underappreciated actor of the silver screen. And as we have been doing for the last few episodes, we've been taking listeners' requests. And today we have a really special one from my sister, who is a, a big fan of the podcast um, and had an amazing person to suggest, who is Dermot Mulroney. Yes, and what a what a person to suggest. I don't know if he was on our list, was he? I, gosh, there's so many names on that list now, but I don't think so, no. I'm pretty sure when you'd mentioned um, that your sister had put it forward, I was like, yes, please, because there's a, there's a lot of films there I'm very happy to go back and rewatch. Yeah, and um, I asked Kira, my sister, why she put him forward. Um, firstly, I should say she is a huge fan of my best friend's wedding. Which, Quite right. Uh, yeah, any sane person should be. A terrific movie, which we'll get into. Um, but what she says is, he has all the attributes of a leading man, the hair, the face, the body, the voice, um, and is in one of the best rom-coms ever. But nothing like came of that, or he wasn't catapulted the way Cameron Diaz was, who, you know... Is they're they're all so central to that film. Like I don't think that film would have worked if Dermot Mulroney wasn't so good at that part. Do you know? And it is a bit wild um, that people, producers or whatever, didn't try to capitalize on him more, um, or even capitalize on him still. Like why is he not being offered some Marvel gig or something? Yeah, it's fascinating because he is really charismatic, and it's an interesting place to start thinking about exactly as um, Kira's describing that he is a movie star, like tentpole movie star, but never got the roles to reflect it. I mean, even in My Best Friend's Wedding, in theory, he's not the star of it. He no. is um, the 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 man in Julia Roberts' life. Um, and he is... Interesting in that film, you're right. I think he is his perfect in it, but it requires not to say very little of him. Um, it is sort of kind of a droll part, really. But I genuinely think, and people may disagree, but I genuinely also think he does that very well. And even in that, because he has such classic movie star looks, um, he is still so quietly charismatic and captivating and you can understand um what brought their characters together so it's it is a really curious thing and 
I hadn't clocked until researching for the episode either that he has not until doing Scream 6 this year, he has never been in any franchise ever. That is the first sequel franchise of anything that he's been in. And considering the amount of roles going and the amount of work he has done and the amount of times he's cropped up in things, I find that wildly surprising. So he is a unique case given his place in Hollywood and the roles he was in. I realise that that's quite loud. Yeah, we there is a helicopter. I hope Dermot is Dermot is he coming to talk about his career? I don't know. There, we're recording this as the coronation is happening and the country's gone wild. The coronation of King. Um, I was going to say King Richard. Oh my God, I'm not in a play. Um, King Charles. Charles. Yeah, sounds weird, doesn't it? Yes. Um. And really, we should be crowning Dermot Mulroney. King Dermot. It suits him, huh? That's an interesting thought for the future. Um, and where would you have first known who Dermot was? So I would have first known Dermot for sure um, playing Gavin in Friends. So he's in a three-episode arc of Friends playing Rachel's, or a love interest of Rachel's. They end up working together. You brought me a present, why? Let me explain how birthday parties usually work. There are presents and a cake, perhaps a fourth or fifth person. <laughs> oh, okay, I, uh, I got you the present to make up for being such a jerk to you. Uh, they have a very memorable kiss on a balcony, which triggers a lot of other characters' feelings, a.k.a. Ross. Um, mm. And <laughs> I would remember him firstly from that, but then... I had a phase where I watched The Wedding Date a lot. And I think I probably was a young teenager, probably much older than I'm I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, I was this kid obsessed with this film. I was probably like 18 or something. But I was very captivated by him at a point where probably wasn't really dealing with the fact or knowing of the fact that I was gay then. Oh. However, very, very drawn <laughs> okay. to this man. Wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> there, there, there are so many questions so I have. So much to unpack here. <laughs> I, I thought I knew you. So the, so the wedding day is something you've seen a lot, which in itself... <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. It's wild. Loads. Um, did you think you were watching it for Deborah Messing? I... Oh, <laughs> I would never. Uh, <laughs> um, or specifically, that little like um, ascot neckerchief she wears when they're dressing up as like 1960s, I don't know what they're dressed up as. Yeah, I was... Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I seem to recollect it, it was just on TV of an evening. I watched it once and... <laughs> Uh, I I mean, I've always had a real soft spot for rom-coms, mostly good ones, but also the lesser ones. And, also, and then the wedding day. <laughs> and then the wedding no, day. No, it's not that. Um, <laughs> so I saw that film a lot. So that would have been then the first time of knowing who he was or really paying attention to him. And even though I will have also seen my best friend's wedding earlier than that, it didn't even click into yeah. place. But the, but the wedding date struck such a chord yeah. with me. And even going, oh, of course, you're Gavin from Friends as well. It, mm. Oh, it all made sense. So the the wedding date was the one that put everything um, together, but it was definitely Friends for me. That's, that's, um, <laughs> there's just so much. 
<laughs> what about you? I can't wait to get to the wedding date again later. Um, okay, about me. Well, my best friend's wedding, as is probably no surprise if my sister is suggesting Dermot. Um, my best friend's wedding, I don't know why. We just, I mean, that was a film we watched as kids. I really liked that film. I, again, don't want to get in too much into it now, but I think he's really interesting. I think the film is fascinating in so many ways. I think he's playing a person who clearly has so much love, including a sexual attraction to this friend who is also an ex, while he's also, you know, building his life with this new woman. I think there's lots of interesting moments to that. And I think he's really great in it. And it's always clear what the intentions are and feelings of all of the characters. But he's the most complicated one. Like, it's easier in a way if you're the other people in that scenario. But he is there with two women he absolutely adores in maybe similar, more similar ways than any of them would admit to themselves in this very heteronormative world that way. And I think it's really special. And we'll get into that more, but I, I think that's true. So, sorry, I don't remember him in Friends. Uh, to be honest, my memory of Friends and Rachel, I remember Joshua because I thought he was hot. And do you remember she, like, thinks she's alluring him and, like, strips yep. into her yes, nightdress or <laughs> nightdress? <laughs> Lingerie! Oh, my God, I sound like I'm describing, like, <laughs> Rose and Golden oh Girls. I'm talking, she's wearing, like, the sexiest outfit. And then his parents come back home and she has to pretend that's her outfit for the evening. Um, but otherwise, I don't remember Friends that much. Um, but, uh, like for Rachel and I couldn't tell you I mean plenty of movies I will have seen and liked him in like about Schmidt The Family Stone which is a movie that really has like triggers me in good and bad ways okay. I, The Family Stone is just but his part is very significant for what how I feel about that movie and um, I did not have any 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 relationship with The Wedding Day until last night where where I made the mistake of turning it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only time. joking, no, kind no, of. Sure, no, I think that's probably fair. You you agree with all all of the critics uh, when that film came out, <laughs> including Deborah Messing. I yeah, her herself. She was the most critical when when they saw what they did to her makeup. Oh my God, Polly Pocket makeup <laughs> at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favourite bit of the wedding day, a spoiler, we will talk more about it properly, but is when they arrive in London and she needs to get changed and they the the shot they have of the pub where she's changing has like a New York, you know, pedestrian sign. And I was like, You couldn't even just put a UK sign there? Like <laughs> What is wrong with this movie? Oh, sorry, I'm not gonna shit on no, it. No, no, no. I have nice things to say. It's okay. Well Holland Taylor's in it. Sure. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, we will get to the wedding date again and we can really, really dive into why I think that's actually a five-star film. Oscars all around. Robbed. Well, you're telling me. I think you're joking, but I'll pitch my case. Um, anyway, let's then dive into to Dermot and find our way mm, through his career. <laughs> He's also I we haven't said have we said he's very attractive. Well yeah well yeah when we say classic <laughs> movie star I think we're implying Ah uh, yeah but you could be classic like handsome but not be attractive. I'm trying to think of an example of that but I I think he is a good example of someone who is absolutely classically good looking but also very sexy. Do you yes. know like there's certain people 
the people jump to mind, I probably think for people who disagree with me, but I wouldn't find like Brad Pitt say that sexy. Like he's a, he's to me like a very classically good looking man, but I'm not going to like throw myself at him. That, okay, strange. <laughs> <laughs> so Brad, you can sleep easy tonight. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, there's a few reasons why Brad Pitt wouldn't be a good choice, but. Oh, but uh, you know what I mean, like so good. Yeah. Like Austin Butler, there's an example. Timothy Chalamet, they're too, they're too like prettier, too like traditional. I know, so I know what you're saying. And uh, words I'll use a lot here, but he, it it doesn't, it doesn't apply. I think aesthetically, in some films, he is incredibly dashing, and there's just mm. something so. Oh, like classic and the hair and it just is everything so nice. Um, You're just talking about the wedding again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am. Which he is. It's what I'm thinking of. Um, But there is something about, how do I describe his quality? A broiness sometimes, Mm. which maybe adds to this sort of, Maybe that's what gives him the the kind of sexier yeah. appeal. Uh, He's at ease at the world because he the world he you know he lives in a world where he should be one of the most privileged people, and he the way he operates around it. And in most of these films, including something like about Schmidt, where he is the butt of a joke often because he's wearing wigs and like big mustache, and is you know Jack Nicholson thinks his daughter Hope Davis deserves much better. He's still walking around owning. His space. It's so true. And I think that is really sexy. And I think that is something that is really appealing. Like he is a, a strong pair of hands that would look after you. Well, then that is what I've written so much times in my notes whilst watching him in the rom-com films is it's that he represents stability. Yeah. You just feel like you're going to have a very comfortable and happy life with their uh, and also with great playing. sex there's a lot of like hinting sure. at those yes. that you know yes he uh, again i point you towards the <laughs> wedding date <laughs> to be honest most of my understanding of the world uh <laughs> is through the wedding date <laughs> oh jesus i think truly i've mine. learned so much this has been like 10 minutes or something a uh, 12 minutes so I, and i've learned so much about you okay fabulous right well anyway here we go diving in uh, as we also wish so um we could call him the spooky boy because uh dermot was born on halloween uh 1963 in alexandria virginia so no wonder he's made Scream 6. Oh, my God. So he is 60-something years of age. Uh, that will make him 60 this year oh as gosh. we record. So at the, in Halloween this year, he'll be 60. Of course. That would make sense. I just hadn't clocked. Yeah. See? Doing well. Aging like wine. <laughs> like a good wine, even. Like Kylie Wine. Yeah. Kylie Minogue Wine. Yeah, aging like Kylie Wine. Um, Okay, so his father was a law professor and his mother a regional theatre actress. So talking about being a very, very busy woman on stage all the time and the significance of um, regional theatres in that part of America was a very, very big thing. Uh, Dermot himself is one of five siblings, one of which is... Kieran Mulroney, who also is an actor and screenwriter. Um, During his schooling in Virginia, Dermot took up playing the cello at a young age and played in school and city youth orchestras. He also attended the Interlochen Arts Camp as a cellist during his sophomore year at high school 
and then as a teenager played in the US National Symphony Orchestra. So very, very, very accomplished cello player, as it would seem. Um, and you can go online to, to watch videos and see this in action. It's not just something that he did passively as a kid. Um, he continues to do it today. So, And he's on Coco and stuff. He's on many, so many, many film scores. So um, because he strikes up this friendship with Michael Giacchino whilst uh, filming The Family Stone, which he scored, um, he ended up proving himself to him and sort of doing like a kind of mini audition, at which point um, Giacchino was like, fair enough, you can play on the scores if you want. And it's something that he has so much pride that he has done today and, and will gladly list all the things he's done. He's uh, on the score, playing cello in Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Star Trek Into Darkness, The Incredibles, Inside Out, um, Rogue One, to name just a few. Basically, most films that Michael Giacchino scores, Dermot will now rock up with his cello and get stuck in. During his younger years, when he was said cello whiz, he also did have time to participate in community theatre productions. So um, the seed that would go on to become his career was also planted, even if it meant the cello ended up taking somewhat of a backseat. From the age of 18, he would go on to study communications at Northwestern University in Illinois, graduating in 1985. In his final year, he auditioned for a talent agency and was asked to relocate to Hollywood. Now, based on everything we've said about him and just those classic looks, I'm not surprised. They probably took one look at him and went, move there now, yeah. we've got this covered. Let's, let's take it all the way. Um, and then once he got to Hollywood, he spent a few months auditioning before landing his first role, which would be one of the leads in a TV movie called Sin of Innocence in 1986. This role involved him playing a stepbrother who gets romantically involved with his stepsister. Um, oh my God. Sophie. The next few years then see quite a flurry of other TV movies um, and an episode of Fame. 1988, though, brings Dermot's breakthrough on the big screen in Sunset, but more noticeably, Young Guns. Now, Young Guns is a sort of Brat Pack um, loaded film. So uh, if you're not familiar with that era of stars, you've got like Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen, in specifically the case of this film. Um, and then many others, those who starred in John Hughes films um, and kind of the, the this 80s teen era all sort of form this group called the Brat Pack. And this film features a lot of those familiar faces. Um, Emilio Estevez is the lead here playing Billy the Kid and he is um, leading this group of young, teenaged, I guess they're called sort of gun runners who... Um, in the sort of Wild West setting, end up having to avenge the murder of their... They keep calling them benefactor. I'm not quite sure what the word benefactor actually means, but they, they keep um, naming him as their benefactor. So when he gets murdered, they go out to avenge his death. And Emilio Estefes's character, Billy the Kid, takes that authority and his charge of this group a little too far, and things get out of hand, landing them all in a lot of trouble and on the run from many angry other mm. gunslinging uh, men of the Wild West. 
Chavez! What? He's gone into the shitter. What? Millie, go in there and cut the son of a bitch in half. Dermot in this plays a character called Dirty Steve Stevens. And now, in this, I was quite taken aback after my, you know, image in my head of Dermot in the wedding date and such. <laughs> um, he, he is, is dirty. He is really grubby and... Um, it, almost to the point of making me feel a little bit ill. It's sometimes his cheek being really full of like chewing tobacco or something, this swollen mouth and, and talking with uh, a very dominant accent, but literally being covered in like muck. And whereas the rest of them, although a little rough around the edges uh, in makeup, none so much as him. However, on listening to him on fellow Brat Packer Rob Lowe's podcast, um, Rob, whose wife was the makeup artist on this film, said that the one that they all did fancy, mm. uh, forget all of these others, it was actually Dermot. They would just then filthy him up and send him out to play this um, scrappy little hick sort. Um, so a very rough around the edges version, which we, we see kind of iterations of again, but not, I would say, to this extent. Um, I imagine Young Guns is a real nostalgic favourite for people who were brought up on it, watching it as a teenager. Um, I'd imagine if they rewatched it now, they'd probably still get some kicks out of it. In 1989, we have Dermot then starring in Lee Grant's Staying Together. And, uh, importantly, one we're going to stop on, um, as a character called John in Norman Rennie's Longtime Companion, which would be the first wide-release theatrical film to deal with the subject of AIDS. Um, This film chronicles the first year of the pandemic as seen through the eyes of a group of friends who are mostly, in the case of the film, uh, gay men, uh, all sort of going through it together as it's happening, and it's sort of chaptered by time so a date will pop up on the screen in some cases it'll be a few months later a few years later and it's broken up into about say 10 segments chronicling from the very beginning when you're first hearing about this outbreak of what is described as gay cancer right through to um, the point where there seems to be some light at the end of a very very dark um, tunnel in time for everyone who went through this Um, And Dermot's character of John is the first in the group to die. So this, given what this film meant and being the first of its kind, this would also mark Dermot as playing the first character seen to die of the disease in a widely released film. So one that had a mainstream release. So a very, very significant film, very, very significant role for him, even if it's short-lived within um, the movie itself. Uh, this was my first time watching Long Time Companion. Was this your first time? Yes, it was my first time. Um, I feel like I watch, well, which anyone who listens to the podcast and you definitely will know of, um, watch queer stories, um, like of all types, but also queer stories that are more connected to the community. So this felt, as opposed to, say, something like Philadelphia, Jonathan Demme's film, um, this felt much more realistic in reflecting the community, um, not that, that I was uh, around at the time, as I'm 
you know, I was only born in 87. But it's a real touching portrait of a group of people through a really horrific thing that was happening, both in terms of what was happening in terms of AIDS and how it was spreading, but also about misinformation, about attitudes in society. And I think the film does a really wonderful job of focusing on the human elements of that story. I, I thought it was, I, I really struck by the film. I liked it a lot. And Dermot Mulroney, like at the beginning, like that is exactly how anyone would react to that sort of information. Like they're all, you know, having a great time living their lives, you know, feeling liberated from what you get a hint of, you know, childhoods and years before not being able to be themselves and live the life that they want to, um, well, not even want to, they need to. That is their, who they are. Do you want to find out his name? I want one thing and one thing only. For your face to shrivel up and fall off in the sea. So when he passes, it's it is like it is shocking. Like it is a shocking thing. And even knowing everything that we do now, it is shocking watching that film. You know, you do not expect Dermot Mulroney. You don't expect any of them because they're so happy and young. And then, you know, he does he does punctuate it, he does return in some form, and that's so beautiful. I mean, that's the poster image in a way. And yeah. it's just like all of this. I don't know, there's something about the community and about, I felt very proud. I mean, that's a word that we use a lot now in the community and overused and used to reflect a whole month that we can be celebrated by even Rishi Sunak, even if he wants to get a tokenistic picture with a drag queen or whatever the fuck he wants to do. But actually, this film reflects some, the, the true sense of what pride you know, that would have been for, for a community that was really fucked over. Do you know? Yeah. And you're right, he does focus pr prim primarily on, on gay men and touches upon other characters and other stories, but I thought it was I thought it was great. So yeah, I'm really glad to have watched it. Um, yeah, really beautiful movie. And not like, you know, I feel like oftentimes when we have AIDS stories, they are almost like biblical in terms of, you know, a morality tale, if you're talking about the normal heart or Angels in America, Tony Kushner's uh, TV movie and the play. And this felt just like a, like a drama, like a, a, you know, an American standard drama that was really just heartfelt and mostly well told. So yeah, I really am glad to watch it. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I thought it was pretty special too, and, and for all the reasons you're saying. And, and you get that sense of the community and what their lives were like and, you know, their visits to... I guess it's either it must be Providence Town or Fire Island, um, or both maybe, <laughs> or both maybe they're taking it all in, and yes, it, it, the the way it is broken into these chapters does give you a sense of what painfully would have just been almost an inevitability in certain cases of it just happening uh, again and again and again, and and the sort of chapter of this film kind of marks that happening on a, a variety of occasions. Uh, although it, it never feels um, too... What's the word I'm looking for? It never feels too like it's relishing the fact it's telling a bleak story. It just feels like it's telling you the story of a group of friends affected by this terrible, terrible thing and, and what yeah. it was like for them. But there is still love and joy shared amongst these characters as they're going through the worst yeah. of it. Um, it's pretty I, wild that they really managed to stay away from it being overly sentimental, being sort of like torture porn, 
like this epic story like it, uh, it is a really well judged drama yeah for sure the only thing that i would outwardly fault is it's it's lacking diversity in a film of this kind of nature celebrating community there definitely would have been room for characters who weren't white to also take center stage. Um, or even reflect on why that group of people didn't include yes, that. Yes, exactly. There certainly could be more done to 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 look at that and look outside of, if it was just that these were a group of friends, looking outside of that a little bit more, perhaps. But it was the first to, to tell this story. I think it does it very well. And I think Dermot is, it's really fun to see him here because he has this kind of tactile, playful energy he feels gay without leaning on stereotypes although you know it might be a conventional uh, you know outlook at what a you know a gay man in this scene crowd might be like but it to me it plays pretty authentically so Mm. um for a very early role in his career and a very important role in his career think he's doing a good job and doing something different than certainly we see otherwise and most i assume a lot of people would have turned their noses up to that like i feel like i bring up this example a lot but adrian brody not doing angels of america because he didn't want to be seen to be doing a gay role you know and that's in the late 90s yeah so firstly fuck adrian brody but secondly and anyone who you know that's homophobia Mm -hmm. um but good on Dermot. There we go. Go on, Dermot. All right. Let's move into the 90s, where we continue to see um, Dermot work steadily in film, including 1990's Bright Star. We have a 91 John Hughes-written comedy career opportunities, um, and then a film called Samantha. In 1992, we have Dermot take on a leading role as King, um, who is the leader of a group of teenage runaways on the streets of LA um, in a film called Where the Day Takes You, which was directed by Mark Rocco. Um, So this one very much feels like a film of its time, feels like one of those 90s grittier representations of teen life that we were seeing with the likes of um, Larry Clark. Um, In this case, for Dermot, he is getting a leading role, which is, I guess, as we look throughout his career, fairly unusual. This would have been the first kind of big leading role for him, um, playing the leader of this group. He sort of brings this, again, quiet charisma, but there is a roughness to him, so you kind of get a sense of authenticity. But I believe the the genesis of this idea came from the writer spending time in a kind of homeless youth shelter in LA and then being inspired to write this, and then the cast all had to sort of do the same and spend time with... Um, kids who are on the streets and learn to understand and they all took very kind of low pay to be involved in this film uh, so you can kind of get that sense of that a, a spirit and energy behind it of, of wanting to be there and wanting to do it you get a sense of again community in this film which is what it's about it's about a community of people who have found themselves leaving home and on the streets and um, 
there are moments in it where I think that it's interesting and wanting to tell an interesting story. So may, maybe its ambition is good, its heart's in the right place, but ultimately I think the delivery is weak and we end up sort of treading into terrain which I imagine is the product of someone who doesn't actually truly understand what, what life on the streets for these people is like and it's sort of hitting these really what feels like conventional beats like oh of course that's happened to them now oh of course this has to happen to this person yes yes it says here you haven't been with a family for my friends are my family of course you can't trust them for shit but you know once you know that it's cool i guess i'm glad i've seen it for the purpose of watching dermot and seeing him um again very very young at this time holding a film, leading a film, understanding why he would be this character that these characters are drawn to. Mm. Um, and again, this sort of, this feels like an origin film for who should go on to become a massive movie star. It feels yeah. like it's set up in that way. Um, the way he's shot, the way it, it all revolves around him very much feels like the, the, this is a movie star. Watch out for him. Um, but I guess something just didn't come off quite right. I don't know. It was received fairly well when it came out. I don't think it holds up terribly well, considering all of the very kind of similar films that came around it at that time. Mm. Over the next few years from there, we see Dermot start to take on some more high-profile roles, like in Sam Shepard's Silent Tongue, uh, we have Point of No Return, a couple of episodes of the Emmy-nominated Family Pictures, starring Angelica Houston and Sam Neill. Um, Peter Bogdanovich's The Thing Called Love, which is about a group of young newcomers to the country music industry. In that, we even see him, I believe, write and sing his own song. Um... An interesting one. I did watch this film years and years ago, but I'd be lying if I said I remembered too much of it. So maybe it didn't have the, the lasting impression that other Peter Bogdanovich films tend to. Mm. Uh, we've also got Bad Girls. We've got Disney's Angels in the Outfield, which is uh, a film in which he played Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dad. Which even now, like, it feels like he's way too young to do that, but I guess not really. Um... The Last Days of Paradise, which I think was a big one for him. Tom DeSillo's tribute to indie filmmaking, Living in Oblivion, mm. uh, which... Wait, oh, yeah. No, go on. Oh, is that where he met Catherine Keener? Interesting. No, they actually met on the set of 1986's Survival Quest. They would star in another film together. They got married in 1990, but in this film, Living in Oblivion, they are certainly on screen a lot more than they had been together previously. Um he would star again with her very quickly after that in 1996's Box of Moonlight and Heroine of Hell. Yeah. Um, and are they they must be the first couple we've done both of in the pod, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, That's they, amazing. They do you go back and listen to the Keener episode. Yes, please do. Um, within the spread of years, we also have him in the Sigourney Weaver, Holly Hunter starring thriller classic copycat if you haven't seen copycat i do recommend it um he was also one half of the mtv movie award nominated best kiss with winona Ryder and how to make an american quilt uh 
returning to the loving arms of Angelica Houston in her directorial feature, Bastard Out of Carolina. We have him in Robert Altman's Kansas City and David Coep's The Trigger Effect. But this is now where we get to the most luminous movie star turn of all time. But sadly not for Dermot. Uh, I'm talking about Julia Roberts. Um, but like we've said earlier, he's still pretty dashing. Uh, it is, of course, my best friend's wedding. Well, they're all... I mean, I agree with you. Julia Roberts in this film is being given the perfect part for her star personality, particularly of that time in her career. And if only all the movie stars in the world could be given parts as wonderfully tailored to how they operate on screen. Like, we would be so lucky if we had people operating that way. Like, PJ Hogan clearly understood uh, who directed it, and I should say directed Miro's Wedding before this understood Julia Roberts' star power and clearly understood what the rest of his cast could do. So we have Rupert Everett in a terrific role, George, mm-hmm. as um, Julia Roberts' friend who is very active in the story. Um, Cameron Diaz as the woman that um, uh, Jeremy Mulroney wants to marry. Um, very suddenly they have just met Kimish, this young woman, very perky, blonde, and he rings up Julia Roberts's character to tell her he's engaged oh. to Kimmy. She's expecting, actually, he's going to propose to her because they had done some drunken agreement that by the time they were 30, which is very upsetting as yeah, a 35-year-old, by the time they were 30, they were going to give up on love and marry each other. Crazy kids. And um, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to have her be part of his um, wedding ceremony. So enter Julia on full form, determined to derail this wedding and win this man back that she didn't even really want to begin with. It is the duty of the best man to dance with the maid of honor. You can't dance. When did you learn how to dance? I've got moves you've never seen. (laughs) You're an imposter. What did you do with my best friend? Huh? I'm still your best friend. And it is... It is amazing. Like, I do think this is... One of the... Like, there's that... uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, Moonstruck. Like, they're the two films that jumped out to me in terms of best rom-coms ever made. And they are two incredibly made movies in that they understand... You know, you need romance, you need all these things, but there's, like, a reality base to it connected to this fantasy world. So you have, like, Rachel Griffiths, and um, I forget the other actress, who's, like, they're playing these siblings who are all singing, all dancing, all, like, unnecessarily there to just, like, have a great time and to really pump up the energy. Cameron Diaz waltzing, like, or not even waltzing, jumping towards Rupert Everett as he arrives. Because he's pretending to be Julia Roberts' fiance because of this farcical thing. And he's like, well, fuck you if you're going to do this and put me in a closet. I'm going to be the campus thing out there and I'm going to be the worst sort of fiance you can imagine. It's just all wonderful. Even the sing song, Say a Little Prayer for You, all of it is wonderful. But then it can also bring it all the way back to a moment like 
Julia Roberts trying to communicate to Rupert Everett, uh, Rupert Everett, to um, Dermot Moroni, why what she wants, and about like you know when they're on the boat and they're going under the bridge, and she's like, do you remember that time you're reflecting, and then she talks about like a moment passing, and then the moment does pass, and it's gone, and you realize she she does have a limit to a point. <laughs> He doesn't want Julia Roberts in a committed relationship anyway. And it's just, like, spectacular. I think that's that's just a wonderful achievement of any film. Um, but for it to also be so entertaining at the same time is incredible. So I could watch that film weekly and enjoy it still. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is the key. So I'm in agreement that this is a top-tier romantic comedy Five star, could go back anytime. It is so, so, so wildly entertaining. Julia Roberts in for me, honestly, the the not necessarily like the greatest movie star performance of all time, but just like you described it very well, a moment in time and someone just elevating her to her best and her just being luminous and really funny, clumsy. I mean, she is a pretty terrible person this film but to great effect and mm. it, it brings everything along and it her character makes sense of Dermot's character in that at times you wonder besides the fact he is um, very very attractive it, it, is there much other cause to why they're both so into him and I think yes and no for both of them though I think they have very different personalities the characters of um Julia and Cameron in this and I can really understand why they both want him and it makes sense and it doesn't make sense and I think that's part of the charm because that is the nature of it all and the value of friendships and how life can shift and change and the people who are valuable to you will shift and change Mm. too even if at moments in time you desperately don't want that to happen it does happen and i think it captures all of these things so well and then that fantasy element to it that you describe it's just a wonderful concoction of just everything working like bottled magic Mm. i i really really adore this film and think it's terrific and i'd be surprised if if anyone doesn't adore it too yeah and i think pj hogan clearly has a knack of having a cast of characters who are really unlikable like muriel's wedding but finding all of the nuances to them and the personality and draws them out so that the audience root for them all because it's not as if like cameron diaz is just a purely nice woman either like oh. she's she's demented in her own yeah, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. and is you know there's <laughs> various bits like keeping um, Julia Robertson in an elevator where she's clearly having a a, a panic attack. <laughs> 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 you know there's there's various moments where Cameron Diaz is clearly um, not a good person either. But um, I love it. I I couldn't I I like I could talk about this film forever. I also think in terms of when I reflect on when I watched it when I was young and Rupert Everett and feeling like represented in a way was really wonderful and that he is the hero of the story. Yeah. Um he's wonderful and funny and I remember when I was young somebody saying I was like him which I assume was um uh what a euphemism 
but I took that as like that's great. Great. Yeah, I think oh, I am. Good. I think I am funny. I I think I am very you know attractive enough. I think <laughs> people will be lucky to be my friend. Oh, <laughs> oh that is so. So lovely. I think there that's wonderful, and it does have my favorite ending, maybe of any rom com ever. It is a great ending. Yeah, I think that's what makes it special. Um, and thankfully they went with it. The original ending I was going to be different, and she was going to. Aiden from uh, Sex and the City yeah, was going to be there. She's going to turn around and talk eyes with someone else. But then they realised the value of Rupert's character, and of course that he was going to be the one to kind of save it all. Um, wonderful. It's interesting to think about the what could have beens in this. I mean, talking about again how just dashing. Dermot is that I mean the first time we clap eyes on him you know they're even building towards it they have Mm. such faith in the fact he is so again sort of luminous gorgeous movie star it cuts to him sort of emerging from a crowd in the Mm. airport and you are like "Ah!" and you can hear sort of like you know um, the angels singing from above or something but initially and I don't know whether this is true or not but it was initially offered to Edward Burns and I'm like I just do not understand that at all in in the context of this character him and how he's framed in the film that is wild but even stranger to me is that apparently PJ Hogan wanted it to be Russell Crowe but during a table read, realised that it, uh, work. it was not going to work. Well, there's something about Dermot in this film. He has this dazed look quite often, yeah. and it plays to different um, different shades of it, in that like when he meets Julia Roberts, as you say, at the airport, he has this like excitable days. When he's sat when he really you know, he's thinking that she's engaged to someone else, he has this sad sort of dazed <laughs> look. Even when, you know, ultimately he he knows very well what Julie Roberts wants, he has this sort of like almost angry, but like dis- like focused on Cameron Diaz's character look. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's terrific. And I'm so glad Ed Burns, Russell Crowe. For some reason, that's Sean Penn you were going to mention. Any of these people, stay the fuck away from Dermot's part. Yeah, back off. All right, on to 1998. We see him uh, in Roland Joff's pretty wild sounding film called Goodbye Lover with... Patricia Arquette and um, Ellen DeGeneres in quite an unusual cast in what seems to be a very frantic um, film. So maybe I will go back and check out, even if the reviews don't suggest I should. Um, Skipping a wee bit on, 2000 brings along the Paul Newman starring Where the Money Is. And then back to back, Alan Rudolph directed um, Trixie, which stars Emily Watson as a self-appointed P.I., so whilst I'm kind of going through this, I'm realising that, that there's there's lots of films I really have to catch up on for a variety of reasons. Um, and then the other one being Investigating Sex. Uh, we also have him again with his still wife of the time, Catherine Keener, in Nicole Hall of Center's Lovely and Amazing, and that comes along in 2001. Uh, we also get The Safety of Objects alongside Glenn Close, Patricia Clarkson, who we have very much enjoyed doing an episode on as well. Um, and there's other people in that cast that maybe one day we'll get to, like Mary Kay Place. Um, she she has a Mary Kay Place on the pod at some point. <laughs> uh, in 2002, we have him in a very different form to what we have come to know him best for. Um, less dashing, a bit more schlubby. And this is, of course, for uh, Alexander Payne's About Schmidt in 2002. The fellow's name is Randall Herzl. 
He's got a sales job of some sort. Uh, maybe Jeannie is a little past her prime, but I still think she could have done a heck of a lot better. What are you guys doing? I mean, this guy's just not up to snuff, if you ask me. I mean, not for my little girl. This film tells the story of um, Jack Nicholson is this character called Warren Schmidt who is retiring from his um, job as like a risk assessment officer, manager, whatever it might be, um, and then sort of pondering retirement uh, with his wife, played by June Squibb. Uh, we hear about how much he uh, loves his daughter and that uh, she's very valuable in his life, but even there, there's a sense of he's kind of just a bit disillusioned with life uh, at this point. Um, and then in a sad turn of events before his daughter's wedding, uh, she's played by Hope Davis, I should say, and Dermot Mulroney playing the husband-to-be. Uh, June Squibb, uh, his wife, very sadly dies whilst vacuuming, and then he has to fend for himself, and it's something he's very much not used to in his life, so decides to make tracks um, for his daughter, and uh, wait, wait, wait! No, There's some really important information. He he's clearing out June Squibb. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And realizes June Squibb has been cheating on him um, with a best a family friend. Um, and yeah, then he takes it upon himself to go in the minivan that June Squibb minivan. <laughs> or, yeah, sorry, it's not a, that sounds like Little Miss Sunshine. This is a fucking massive, you know, expensive RV. Thing. Yeah, huge. Um, and he decides he's going to go on a little journey on his way to see Hope Davies, his daughter, Hope Davies, and her partner, um, Dylan. And then very... Or Dermot. <laughs> Dylan. Are you Not done Dylan it? McDermott. Oh, no. um, Dermot. Dermot. Dermot Mulroney. Uh, and very importantly, Dermot's mother played fantastically by uh, Kathy Bates yeah. in one of her uh, Oscar-nominated turns. Terrific. Jack Nicholson was also not Oscar nominated for this. And probably would have won if Adrian Brody, that Weinstein yeah. campaign didn't yeah. really take off because um, I, I think the film is, I, th- I, I think my reaction to the film is not the intention of what Alexander Payne maybe was after. I thought Jack Nicholson's character was kind of like the villain that wouldn't let everyone else enjoy their life. So like June Squibb found a little bit of joy from an affair. Yeah. You know, Hope Davis does not want her father right he's not a nice no, man no, he's not, no. um, but I think the film maybe thinks you'll sympathize with him more than you do and I, I don't yeah. and and I think that's also to do with the world back of what it was what 20 years ago in the world today of we we judge men with their privilege much harder than we would then and I think that he would have got away with having the job I mean I think maybe the same could be said with a lot of his films. Like I haven't rewatched Sideways, say, or even Election, um, and maybe that's why he doesn't have hold a place in, you know, contemporary film the way other people that were making films then were. Yeah. But about Schmidt, it was interesting to rewatch, and I think Dermot Mulroney is wonderful. As I was saying, I think the joy is he doesn't give a fuck about anything else. He's just trying to live the best life. You know, he offers his sympathy to Jack Nicholson, even though Jack Nicholson has no interest in him being anywhere near him. How are you doing? You doing okay? Fine. Sure. Yeah. But he's very good. But it is, I think the whole film is stolen by 
when Kathy Bates arrived, oh but also Jack Nicholson, who's writing letters to this orphan child he's been donating money to, so he thinks he can, like, <laughs> give all of his cares to this poor child. Um, but, yeah, it was it was grand, but it was fun to see Dermot Mulroney do something different. Yeah, for sure. I think, th- for the purpose of this, that is a massive highlight. About Schmidt, very weirdly for me, as we've all come to realise in this episode in general, is a nostalgic favourite. Mm-hmm. I remember going into HMV, seeing the cover, and for whatever reason being compelled to buy it, watching it loads, quoting Kathy Bates' lines to anyone who would listen, to being like, as if I was quoting Star Wars or yeah. something. I was like reeling off her quips and uh, put-downs of everyone. So I very much enjoyed it. I agree with you around the framing. I reckon it is sort of you're you're meant to kind of feel for him more, but he is also written in a way where he's awful and he spends his time writing to this um, uh, child who is staying in uh, an orphanage and he's you know sending money as part of this appeal, uh, and he writes these very angry, scathing letters about his family <laughs> and his life and moaning and venting. Um, and even in his moments where you think maybe he's turned and he's giving his speech at the wedding and, and he has respect for all these people, that too is fleeting and you understand yeah. that he's very glad to get away from them. So it's sort of this, I, I think you can understand that it is a grumpy man and that's never really going to change and he doesn't really want to be part of all of that. Yeah, but he wants something from them. That's where but I think my thing of the film them, doesn't sure. explore. Do you know who I was hope, thinking I would love... Um, in in some weird mashup that they could meet, Judy Dench's character in Notes on a Scandal, and Jack Nicholson's <laughs> character from About Schmidt. You know, two voice. like elderly bitches just like meeting up and seeing who can out like bitch each other. <laughs> <laughs> who can be the nastier? I mean, that is the uh, a very very strange crossover <laughs> prospect. Uh, like, but I'm intrigued. But it's yes. what we need. Yeah, why not? Give it a go. I Judy and Jack. Judy and Jack. <laughs> there we have it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was glad to rewatch it because because it does hold a fondness for me, whether that's completely valid or not. And and in that way, is is certainly amongst my favourites mm. of Alexander Payne's, if mm. not my favourite, really. But I too mm. haven't rewatched some of the other. And I love June Squibb. I think June Squibb. Oh, she's is so wonderful. great. Yeah, and with so little to do here, she brings so much in her silences and the way she's kind of rustling around and all the things that frustrate him about her. And you know, she, I honestly, I re- I think this is where it came was more like, she's had to deal with some shit mm-hmm. and now he's not in the office every day. Mm-hmm. Like the poor woman. Yeah, she's like, oh God, here we go. But still trying to see the positive. All right, so let's crack on. In 2003, we have here the three episode arc of Friends as Gavin. In 2004, Dermot lends his voice to a TV movie called Hair High and stars in David Gordon Green's Undertow. Then we have 2005. My, my, my. This is where we're really lucking out. So we have, uh, well, Must Love Dogs. I don't know. I've not seen that film, but it seems like also something that I truly must. Um, But very significantly for us, (laughs) <laughs> for very different reasons and in one case definitely not for you the family stone and the wedding date so shall we start with um the family stone christmas classic watch it every year what are your thoughts it's a christmas classic <laughs> um family stone okay family stone i 
will do anything to get Diane Keenan film. That includes even that one with the palms. Um, like, I'd watch them all. Yeah. Um, I remember myself and my mum being really excited by the concept of the family stone. I was a big Sex and the City fan. So Sarah Jessica Parker as well. This is a big post Sex and the City film for her. And the casting was exciting. Diane Keating, Christmas film. And we went to a cinema that isn't that close to us because for whatever reason, it wasn't showing at the cinemas near us. And I remember having a nice time enjoying it. And then, um, and you know, it's a film about Sarah Jessica Parker's Meredith being brought home by her um, partner, Dermot Mulroney, to his family, who are very liberal. They're so liberal. Like, Sarah Jessica Parker's character is so buttoned up and so... Well, I don't... She's not explicitly conservative. She's just more... She's less exposed to the world than these characters. Sure. You know Diane Keating has, like, thrust you know, human rights information, whatever, to these people's lives for their whole life. And um, so it's in, it's really enjoyable, uh, this fish out of water comedy. I personally find Sarah Jessica Parker likable, so I like her in this sequence. Um, but what really turns everything is that Dermot Mulroney wants to have the family stone, this diamond ring, to propose to Sarah Jessica Parker. And they all are pretty shit to Sarah Jessica Parker, um, to the whole movie. And then there's a... Moment at a dinner table, which I find really, I just find really complicated. And I think the film is a bit too easy with it in terms of um, Diane Keating is jokingly saying she wanted all of her sons to be gay. And Sarah Jessica Parker, without thinking, says... You didn't, re you didn't really hope for gay children, did you? That's a very loaded yeah. conversation. But the reaction to that is everyone tells Sarah Jessica Parker to shut the fuck up, including... Her, her potential fiancé. No, I'm sorry. I did not mean that. Honestly, Why I... Why don't you try saying I, what it is you do mean? And Diane Keating, like, it's all just treated like such a, like, heightened thing. And I think the film misjudged something which I think could have been a real turning point for other reasons. I'm not... Obviously, I do not agree with what Sarah Jessica Parker's character is saying. That is, you know... Um, kind of casual homophobia and is really upsetting. If I was at a table and someone said that, I'd be devastated. But at the same time, the film just seems to be like, okay, we're just going to like use this as like as collateral damage. You're like, oh no, but this moment is, is really upsetting to hear in a movie. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's a kind of a long-winded way to say, I do like the film, I do rewatch it, but that moment always jars with me of, of to a point where I dread, I dread that scene coming right, up. Yeah. It is an uncomfortable scene. And it doesn't have a purpose. Like, I don't mind discomfort if... Because Sarah Jessica Parker clearly has not considered herself homophobic, does not mean it in a bad way, but the, uh, but the way they act uh, is is really just not, not something that makes sense to me. But then I find it complicated because I would be so upset and I would love in real life if someone stood up for me yeah. in that way. So it's, it's, a, it's a very yeah, complicated. complicated... I just think the film is... Just needs Sarah Jessica Parker to go out flirt with Luke Wilson, have her sister who's arrived, Claire Danes, flirt with Dermot Mulroney, needs Diane Keeling to have a big moment. Like, they just need all these things to happen and just put it on the wrong beat of the film. But, yeah, I like it. And I think Dermot Mulroney is fine. This is a part where I think could have been someone... Like, it's he's very good in it. I'm glad he's in it. But he's not the reason I'd be drawn back to that movie. No, no, you no, couldn't no, no. replace... Rachel McAdams, Sarah Jessica Parker, Diane Keating. But, yeah. So, overall, I do like it. And it's a film... 
rightly or wrongly, I think about often, not in the same way you do with the wedding day, <laughs> but I just contemplate because I think that's such a, I find my reaction to that moment so interesting. Um, and if anyone wants to talk about that <laughs> with me separately, totally, just because I, I don't know. No, but it is, it is interesting, and I've not actually thought about that before, but the, what she's communicating is complicated, whatever the feelings are that, that come up with that. Um, so maybe just the sort of quick jumping down the throats, uh, really vilifying her in that. But it is, it is, you feel the pain and discomfort. But that's sort of the point, because I guess the sympathy does turn back around and she is then welcomed into the family in a different way. Um, but yes, I hear you. It's, it's, a, it's not a comfortable scene in an otherwise fairly fun, pleasant, seasonal watch. Um, I've watched it many times, very mm. fond memories of watching it. Mm. But speaking of film that I have a lot of thoughts about, The Wedding Date. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen The Wedding Date, and surely that can't be many... Um, it is a romantic dramedy. <laughs> no. It was comedy, but is it really? Not really. It is sort of just like a romantic dramedy. You're probably right there. Um, so directed by Claire Kilner, um, it tells the the story of a woman played by Deborah Messing, who a nightmare uh, is a nightmare. Um, no. Uh, Speaking of sex, this is Sex in the City esque, like what they're kind of aiming yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, that's. That, I think that's fair. Tonally, yeah, striving towards it, and the music cues feel yeah, feel it's like a that lot too. Of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So walking down the step, the, there's so many angles for no reason of like people in shoes walking or like to, like. Yeah. So like, what's going yeah. on here? Midriff so getting very, into cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but that to me is is of the time. Oh, wonderful! Um, Did you get get distracted by midriffs? Yeah, the just the, the all the amazing shots. I mean, it is beautifully. Roger Deakins did it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Could have been. Didn't actually check that. Um, anyway, woman invited hmm. to her sister's wedding, played by um, none other than. Amy Adams. Amy Adams. In a proper villainous role. Yeah, she's an awful character in this. Um, the problem with uh, Deborah going to this wedding is that she knows that her ex is going to be there, of course. The wedding's in London. Her ex is from there. He's going to be at that wedding because he is going to be best man. Um, so the the way to deal with this, apparently, is to pay $5,000 um, to hire a male escort to accompany her to the wedding. Who is that male escort? Well, none other than Dermot. Uh, They encounter each other on the plane over, go there, and then he does a fabulous job of of delivering in all angles. He is the handsome man. Everyone's very envious that she's turned up with him. He charms everyone. He again feels so stable and there for her. And then for her specifically in the moments where they're alone in the room and he's dropping towel, getting into the shower, you know, there's lots of other ways that it can be pleasing for her too. Mm. Um, And the opportunity to upgrade should she wish to spend some more cash. So, are you ever attracted to your clients? I know you're curious about my business, but uh, I really can't discuss other clients. Oh, come on. How many of them want to sleep with you? You know, I swear... It's not about sex. It's about having a little understanding of what people need. Please. You're like the Yoda of escorts. Okay, well, let's get into it then. So, 
firstly, the like dynamics of sexual sexuality and like you know sex work in this film, I found so confusing because he he's kind of aggressively throwing his body at her when she said she didn't want it, and I didn't know whether that. Like, is that okay? <laughs> like, I'm like, what is happening here? And then there's a sequence where she comes back with a whole load of cash wanting sex. And then he's annoyed. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, but that, you know, that, there's probably no point in talking, uh, talking about that. But I just, I thought he was perfect as a male escort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a high-end male escort. Oh, really high-end. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very and classy situations. I, do you know what? I was hoping the movie was going to get more into like other women at the party and men recognized him from employing him in the past. Like I would have loved a movie like that. Oh, that would have been interesting. No, it, this film's very conventional. I say I have a lot of thoughts about it. I don't truly. I mean, on reflection, it's not the film I thought it was when I first watched it. But, you know, it created stirrings. I watched it a lot. And um, I was therefore glad to go back and and rewatch it. Yeah, but yeah, bits of I still find it fun. I don't know that the it's very swift and the the film's barely eighty minutes. Yeah, I think it's, so. Yeah, it's, it's over in a flash. Um, and it does it it moves along at a pace. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Gives Deborah Messing now. Let's be honest, like. The worst close at the beginning, but then towards the end, you're like, really pulled it out of the bag. <laughs> like, honestly, whoever, I, I, that was a, de- a decision for her character, terrific. Until the wedding, the actual bridesmaid's dress was not nice on her, but then what is supposed to be. But I, she was gorgeous in this black dress. No, that's very true, actually. So you're right. Um, it, it does really evolve with her. Um, would I recommend this film? 100%. Yeah, I don't think I would not <laughs> recommend it. I just think go in expect with low expectations. Yes, it has clunky sort of forced writing. That's certainly something I noticed this time. Mm. The music is very fun and adds to a sort of specific energy of its time, but when oh, you, you listen like to what Bublé. the... Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yes, Michael Bublé, so much of it. But there is the chorus um, near the beginning. But that's not the chorus. That's a cover. I was trying to... Like, who the fuck is singing that song? That is not Andrea Core. Leave me breathless. Oh, God, I totally thought when it kicked off it was, so I didn't got, pick up I don't on know, that. Maybe, maybe it was I'm Michael Bublé as well, because he is all <laughs> over this film. But the songs, when Michael Bublé is playing, the what song he is singing is so on the nose, yeah. it's a little embarrassing. Um, like, Why don't you go find her at the church? <laughs> <laughs> it made well. Yeah, exactly, pretty much. Uh, so it's, it's not worth recommending without, yes, caveating with, it's a clumsy, typical movie of its type but Dermot yeah. might do things yeah he's very handsome it's also the sort of romantic comedy where people say things like I'd rather fight with you every day than fall in love with someone else and you're like do you know what I feel like that's not a <laughs> that's not the dynamic people should be championing in movies mm. but you know Dermot's hot that's true and also we'd be remiss for the purpose of the pod not to mention that in her very fleeting moments again well no she has a few more than in other films but Sarah Parrish is a delight terrific yeah, yeah she's her. so much fun and just wish we had more of her in British comedy yeah. in general I have a real serious question so I'm not going to make any have any spoilers but if Dermot and Deborah got together at the end of this film she clearly wants him to be monogamous and committed how would he earn any money? 
Very good question. Uh, I, I, I don't know. He'd, hopefully he'd had another trade before he went into escorting. I don't know. Yeah, bodybuilding or something maybe. Yeah. He does have a nice and, body. Um, but she obviously is absolutely minted, so she's just going to pay for the book. Yeah, she's some flight I don't um, get. I don't manager, understand. Considering how much HR she's spending person. on prostitutes, it doesn't quite make sense. Uh, but you, prostitute is not the word we use. Sex worker. And he actually does not, he's not paid for sex in this film. This is very true, but <laughs> it is on the it's on the table. Literally, literally, literally on the table. <laughs> literally on the boat, if you want specifics. In her father's boat, like out in the road, <laughs> and she brings him down there. Like, have sex sense. in his in the like Dermot would have been fine anywhere. Oh. It's only to bring him to an awkward boat. Well, that's balancing on some wheels outside on a it looked like a slanted road I was like is this going to be a comedy <laughs> thing where they start shagging and great. the boat starts falling down I think I should have wrote this film because I have I have so many thoughts that could have really elevated it Oh, like imagine if she like crashed into something that would have been great well maybe a remake is uh, needed and Deborah Messing can still play it yeah yeah I've got both of them both of them still fine uh, anyway, okay, we'll move away from the wedding date, even though it breaks my heart. Um, 2006 brings along another romantic lead role in a film called Griffin and Phoenix. 2007, we get some wildly differing offerings here, um, but they are equally impactful. So, on one hand, David Fincher's Zodiac, uh, where he plays Captain Marty Lee, and then on the other hand... Just as impressive, we have Gary Marshall's Georgia Rule, which sees him playing opposite Jane Fonda, Felicity Huffman, and Lindsay Lohan. But no joke, I do have a soft spot for that film too. I watched it at a certain time. I felt very fondly on it, but again, one that critics didn't agree with me on. Oh, I'm sorry. But you seem to be on a high with him for Wedding Planet. Yeah, I mean, he's in so many of my favourites, so Dermot's my guy. Mm. Um, Have you seen Georgia Rule? (laughs) I have not, but I love Zodiac. Perfect. So I'll say that's how that's how I'll end yes. it. It's not it's not worth completely <laughs> skipping over Zodiac, but yeah, Zodiac's a great <laughs> film. Check it out too. Uh, he, he also voiced the Green Lantern in three episodes of DC's animated The Batman series. Uh, in 2008, we see him in a, a fleeting moment. So he's one of the stars of Coming Up Daisy, which is the film within. Burn after reading, and he's opposite Claire Dane, so reuniting after the family stone. The Sorry, ne- he, this is a this is in Burn after reading. Yeah, like a little I film within mean, yeah. that you see. Yeah, and it's called Coming Up Daisies. <laughs> coming up Daisy. Yeah, sounds naughty. Everything's coming up rose. <laughs> That's okay. You're always welcome to bring Gypsy. Um, the next few years uh, will bring along Dermot in. I'm just going to list a few to crack through. J. Edgar, The Grey, Big Miracle, Struck by Lightning, Stoker, and there's another thrilling entry, mm. um, Jobs, and a few episodes of Enlightened. And this is where he'd start also his eight-episode arc um, in New Girl, where he plays, quite fittingly, um, Zoe Deschanel's Fancy Man. And I think, basically, they saw him in all the same things I did. And we're like, fancy man, perfect. Um, Now we're at 2013, and this is where we see Dermot as part of the Super Bowl of acting. That is August Osage County. Here he plays Steve, which is the sleazy fiancé of Juliette Lewis's character. So now, we have talked about this film before when we spoke about the fabulous Margot Martindale. Mm. Um... 
I'm just going to add that I think he is perfectly cast here and he mm. does this sort of sleazy, show-offy, sports car riding creep incredibly well. Yeah, and a really good subversion of what you come to expect of him. Yeah, I think he's he's terrific and he's a standout in a room full of standouts. Yeah, yeah, but again... This is maybe a, a, a lot of things where I'm the anomaly in liking films that critics don't. I'm a big fan of that film anyway. But I agree, he is a standout in a film full of standouts. Now, I don't know that much about poetry, but I thought his poems were mm. extraordinary. Mm. And your reading was very fine. Thank you. Well, Who are you? Well, this is my fiancé, Steve. You met him at the church? Steve Herberbrecht. Had what? Herberbrecht. Herberbrecht. It's German. German, Irish, really. I... Picking out some of the more familiar entries from the, the kind of next run of years where things do get a little patchier, to be fair. Um, I'll name some headline ones. So, Insidious Chapter 3. Um, in 2015, we get him commencing his 23-episode run on America's version of Shameless. Opposite Kate Blanchett in Truth, we have the very, very critically panned Dirty Grandpa, which I have no intention on ever watching. Didn't we watch that for um, Catherine Keener? Oh, maybe I put... No, that's Bad Grandpa. Oh. This is What's the one with grandpa? Robert De Niro and oh, Zac Efron. Sorry. Which I think is... Don't know my grandpa movies. Heinous. That's, it's very easy to confuse. Uh, three episodes of Mozart in the Jungle where he finally gets to play a real cellist. Oh my God, I must continue that. That, that was Bernadette Peters, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal. Yeah. That was fun, but I didn't keep going. Yeah, well, well, there's show. a reason for you to go back. Uh, three episodes of American Horror Story Cult, which I think was the seventh series of the show. Three episodes of Homecoming, five episodes of Station 19. Homecoming with Julia Roberts. Homecoming is a really underseen but really terrific TV show, FYI. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I highly recommend it. And then Janelle Monae takes over in the second one. Any time that those two re-team is uh, a winning combo for me, so ought to. Uh, Arrested Development, he was in seven episodes there, playing a character called Dusty for fans of that show. Uh, was he dusty, like he was dirty? He didn't, well, unless it's going back <laughs> to his young guy days then. Dusty. No, he would never be. Uh, six episodes of Four Weddings and a Funeral, ten episodes of The Purge, two episodes of Messiah, three episodes of Prodigal Son, 13 episodes of Hannah, so very, very busy boy on TV over this time. Um, and maybe that explains the sort of patchier film work that was maybe going on here. So this is now us taking all the way sort of up to date. We got 2022 and maybe a few more missworthy entries here. Uh, a film called Uma, Agent Game, Section 8, and The Inhabitant. I've not heard of any of those either. Uh, thankfully, another massive hit was on the cards and this was, like we said, the only time he has ever starred in a franchise film. And this is Scream 6, where we get Dermot as Detective Bailey. So he is one of the cops on the case, inevitably, because it's a Scream film, trying to track down the ghost-faced um, murderer uh, who is killing everyone. It is, it is enjoyable. I feel, for me, this is where they were trying to freshen up. And a lot of people do think it hits that mark. Mm. 
I prefer the wedding day. <laughs> I prefer the wedding day. <laughs> well, I probably would prefer yeah. the wedding day. Um, I find it a little uninspired, but there are some choices that's fun. Dermot certainly gets to have a lot of fun with Aww. this par. I think um, he lucked out with this one. And given the fandom of this series, hopefully it's given him a very significant place in the, the yeah. Scream fandom canon, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so yay for getting in there and doing a franchise. I hope it doesn't mean that he just does that willy-nilly, but I don't think so. I think this is a Well, a wait, you exception. did say he was Insidious 3. Is that, oh my gosh, yeah. of course. So, so I maybe like horror franchises. So maybe he just loves those. Yeah, maybe when I've heard him talking about it, and that's why I was like, wow, he just doesn't consider Insidious to be a <laughs> franchise, but maybe he means very, very successful, successful ones. Um, and then if we look what's coming up in the future... There are a lot of films on the list. Um, he's in Anne Heche's actual final credited film called You're Killing Me. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't make that face. I didn't make oh, a face. Oh, my God. Well, it's I just reading I, I, I it now as I, I ever thinking heard, about it. Heard it. It's that's uncomfortable. Really a, that's it's an uncomfortable. awful... Although I love Anne Heche. Yeah, I know. It's very, very sad. Um, but... Alongside that, there are 17 other listed credits on IMDb, and looking through all of them, I can't say that any are seem very inspiring. Is he in The Irishman? I feel like everyone... Not The Irishman. What's the new <laughs> Scorsese film everyone's Killers of for? the Flower Moon. Is he in that? No. Um, but maybe one of those will turn out to be amazing, I just didn't clock it, or something else great will come up. If something else great was to come up, what would you like it to be, Michael? Well, I could not resist um, bringing back three actors who we do not have enough on our screens lately. That would be Dermot, Julia Roberts, and Cameron Diaz. Perfect. And if we're talking about movie star vehicles, um, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but one of my all-time favorite movie star vehicles is way back in the past called Sudden Fear, Joan Crawford, perfect movie for her when she was getting older and her star was diminishing the producers would have said and she plays a playwright which is the part I'd get Julia Roberts to play in this remake who will not cast an actor she decides he's not like we need to recast him before the play opens that would be played by Dermot Mulroney the play's a success on her way back to her home in the countryside on the train who does she bump into but this man again. <gasps> and they strike up a nice conversation. Everything seems lovely. But enter uh, at their engagement party a woman that he seems to have a, a something an interaction with. Um, that would be Cameron Diaz. And the main character, now Julia Roberts, is conflicted whether she trusts her soon-to-be husband or she thinks that he's up to something with this woman that's just come on the scene. What will happen? It's like, it's a thriller, kind of campy, but not campy in like a First Wives Club um, sort of way. It's, it's proper, like, great movie making, or it was. I'd have someone like Todd Haynes direct oh. it. Um, or even David Fincher, but I think he's a bit too serious and not yeah, so okay. much fun. But somebody who understands joy and entertainment but also understands like a real sort of thriller nature um because without spoiling it 
there is a connection between this woman, this new woman, and the the man that she marries, and it makes her feel very unsafe. Oh. And I think the, those three actors would be perfect in those parts. So in the original one, it was Jack Palance, Dorothy Malone, and Joan Crawford. Right. So I think Julia, Cameron, and Dermot would be perfect. My God. Well, I'd love that. And I, it's a film I actually must watch anyway, the OG. So I will add that to the list for sure and hope for your wish to come true. Uh, and from a very similar starting point, I mean, I'm going to go far more basic this. I would like him to re-team with Julia Roberts in particular. Boo, I thought you were going to say Deborah Messing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been sweet. I mean, sure, that would be sweet. It's not going to be my choice on this occasion, though. Um, when we do the Deborah Messing episode. But I tell you for why. It's not just because they're lovely together on film. If you watch the clips, I don't know who it is who does it, where they read out the answers or they answer oh, the yeah. top asked questions on Google. And it was done a few years ago, maybe when they were on the TV show together. But they're, they're, they have such a lovely chemistry. I assume they're very good friends in real life. It mm-hmm. certainly feels like they have that rapport because they seem to, they do know a lot about each other. So I just think they are great together. And maybe I do want the rom-com that their characters didn't get in um, My Best Friend's Wedding. Um, and, you know, I just want someone great to make a great rom-com again. I don't know if Rob Rayner ever fancies coming back to directing, but he hasn't directed in a long time. Was that a bad suggestion? He's dead. No, he's not. Rob Rayner. He's not dead. Who's Rob Rayner? The director of When Harry Met Sally. I think he's dead. Did you not do Ghostbusters and all? No, that's Ivan Reitman. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, Rob, if you're, if you're a listener to the podcast. Oh, Congratulations, no, I, you've just been hired for your new job. This is your face. I thought you were going to like say something else about him, like I didn't know. I'm like, oh, God, don't, don't, don't add Rob Rayner to this. Oh, my God, I don't know. Well, he is alive, and if, he, if for any reason he fancies directing again, he's made some of the all-time greats, including When <laughs> Harry Met Sally. And I just want a classic, and... Even though it wasn't the best film in the world, um, Ticket to Paradise with Julia Roberts and George Clooney was a very lovely way to pass some time. So more of that, please, without any shame. Surely Nancy Myers is designing some huge beige kitchen for Julia Roberts to do a rom-com. I'd imagine so. She was actually the first person that came to my head, but I feel like she is now significantly the most mentioned in this segment of the pod. So I thought I'd pull out uh, someone who you apparently thought was dead. (laughs) Who did I think was the, him? Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman. Well, do you know what? They probably look the same, do they? I have no idea. Sorry, Ivan. Sorry, Rob. Oopsie. Um I was going to say something else there. That's totally gone on my head. But anyway, I I love that. I would love to see them both be in more rom-coms um, and more films. Honestly, I don't... I understand Julia Roberts is a big star and doesn't need to do anything and doesn't want to, maybe. And, you know, comes to his Ticket to Paradise or Homecoming or whatever she fancies. But it's a real joy. I will go and watch anything she does. Yeah, she is the movie star of our generation. I think she is. Yeah. Her and Glenn Close. <laughs> Just the same. I'm Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, well, I'm getting old. I'm older than you, so I cover more ground. Different energies. Me and you, or, or, or <laughs> well, Michelle Pfeiffer? Well, that too, apparently, coming from your answers. <laughs> Different energies. Um, yeah, you'd Michelle have Deborah Pfeiffer, I agree with. Um, um, so... 
What a delight. Where can people tell us how much they agree with you about the wedding day? Uh, please come and share your enthusiasm for one of the greatest films of all time. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram at don't know her underscore pod. Uh, or if you want to send a really lengthy email detailing all of the things that Michael didn't realise about that film that I didn't have the time to explain, get us at don'tknowherpod at gmail.com. Thank you, yes. Um, and please do rate, review us. That really helps other people find us. And do share with any person, one person we ask you um, to share with that you think would enjoy us drooling over, celebrating, um, poking fun at... Uh, Dermot and the rest of the great uh, list of actors we've been talking about. And this um, brings to an end to our little mini-series on listener requests. Uh, I'm sure we'll bring this back. Because <laughs> yeah, it's it's been, sounds like and back to us now. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed... I really enjoyed the, the people and the mix of people that we yes. talked about. Um, so thank you so much for everyone that suggested, in this case, my sister, Kira. And we'll be back soon with another grouping of, of brilliant, underrated and very special actors. We sure will. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, everyone, for listening. For now, goodbye. Bye. Bye.